Hello and welcome back to the God's Story podcast, episode 32. This podcast is for pastors and church workers particularly, but I guess for anybody in uh, management or leadership. There's a ticking time bomb in your ministry. Is it you? Well, today I'm talking to Michael McKenzie, a licensed professional counsellor, ordained pastor and hospital chaplain, about his new book from IVP America called Don't Blow Up Your Ministry, Diffuse the Underlying Issues That Take Pastors Down. Michael served for 10 years as the clinical director of Marble Retreat, a Colorado retreat center that specializes in ministering to pastors and ministry leaders in crisis. He studied marriage and family counseling at Denver Seminary in the States and has a D-min in pastor care from Lincoln Christian University. And Michael joins me and also joining me on Zoom this morning is Rido, my co-host, Ian Reid, Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church in Palmerston, North New Zealand. Rido and Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be here. You there, Rito? Likewise, thanks, Brent. You are. Fine for you. Yes, good notes. This is a subject dear to both our hearts. Rito's a church pastor and I have been in church ministry, so it's great. Why are pastors mm. blowing up their ministries, Michael? Because they're human, to put it, <laughs> to put it bluntly. You know, we're, we're all broken, you know, as humans, and, and we have our areas of weakness. And ministry, I have come to find, will play your brokenness like a drum if you are not aware of it. Yeah, why is it important for pastors to recognize that they are broken and imperfect and accept it? Well, you know, that's the trick. If somebody's just recently asked me, are the issues pastors have different than other folks and other careers? And in some ways, no, the same similar issues, yet it's in a different context. And what I mean by that, it's it's one thing to be a lawyer, a doctor, a dentist, and have some personal emotional problems or issues, they're in a context that it's safer to admit that, safer to get help. Uh, pastors often, you know, even if they come to realize, hey, I've got some brokenness I need to deal with, there's a lot of pressures to say, don't deal with it, don't talk about it, don't share it. Here in America, there's, there's still a lot of risk that, will I lose my position? If I am really vulnerable, you know, there's this push for authenticity Yet, every pastor knows there's a certain line that I cross. If I get too authentic, it could cost me my position. And I think that's what's unique about the ministry is that context and having brokenness within that. And so I need to be aware, but then I need to know, like, how do I then deal with it in a safe way? Is part of the problem that, uh, that people in churches today place totally unrealistic expectations on their pastors? Yeah, you know, I did my doctoral research in the areas of which where pastors struggle. And one of the things I asked caregivers like myself, two pastors and Christian leaders, I asked them what causes their, the, the struggles in ministry. Number one response I got was isolation, which has been well documented. Isolation in the sense of I, nobody's really, really close to me. I have lots of people that are in my life, but nobody's really, really close. Two was unrealistic expectations. That was the second most common response in my research to why there are struggles for folks in full-time Christian leadership. And sometimes that's not just external. That can be internal. It can be the pastor on themselves putting that pressure. So it's a both and kind of thing. Why do churches or so many churches and ministries these days go toxic? I mean, you spoke a few minutes ago about uh, pastors who just want to be authentic, but they can't open up. Why on earth is this happening? 
Oh, man, I think there's a lot of layers to that, you know, of why that is. You know, I think sometimes it comes back to what are people looking for when they go to church? And, you know, I'm not sure how much, you know, this happens in your part of the world, but at least here in the... Here in the States, people are still really drawn to, uh, it doesn't sound like a good term, but I can't think of anything else, uh, to a show. They, they want the slick appearance up front, and then they want their pastor to be like that all the time. And so, you know, I work with, with full-time with pastors, with Christian leaders, and what they talk about is, you know, they feel like they're trapped on a treadmill that's going faster and faster. The more they perform, the more they're expected to perform. They're like a racehorse. And the more races they win, the more they're expected to win. And so this pressure just mounts and mounts. And and ironically, the gifting that got them into that ministry or opportunity is now what's threatening them and creating a toxic environment. So they're at play themselves for performing. Yet, everybody out there is giving them the attaboys for performing, and it creates this this really high kind of perfectionistic, um, pressure-filled system that every Sunday we have to knock it out of the park. Our worship has to be knocked out of the park. Our sermon has to, we have to knock it out of the park. Our next book, our next vision. And so the guys, you know, men and women that I work with in ministry just feel that constant pressure to perform because... A lot of folks are wanting that to be stimulated every week in some way. Mm. How important is it for pastors and church leaders to know what their strengths and weaknesses are? Oh, it's vitally important, you know, and and I think that that has been one of my biggest surprises working in this with this specific population, which I've specialized in for about 20 years now, has been I don't know if I'd say lack of self-awareness. I think a lot of pastors know a lot about themselves, especially with personality issues, Enneagram, all this stuff. Where, where they often don't know is in what I would call other areas of brokenness. Let's, let's say for abuse, for example. In one of our intensives, you know, we have four couples typically come to our counseling intensives. At the end of one, three of the four male pastors confessed to being sexually abused as children and they had never told anybody about it and they didn't think it had an impact on them currently of how they do life and ministry but it was glaringly obvious that it did have an impact and so they were able to spiritualize it away saying i've forgiven it and i don't think about it therefore it doesn't affect me when as a counselor, I'm like, no, no, there, there's no way that that's true. And I can show you ways that it is impacting how you attach to people, how you either overset boundaries or underset boundaries. Lots of ways how their own self-view that I'm only worthwhile if I give you what you want because they learn that through their abuse. You know, it's it's so I see in pastors, there's a lot of growing knowledge in their strengths, weaknesses in one way, but in other ways, not so much. And the church environment or some of the church environments you write about in the book are, dare I say it, almost equally as abusive in a different way. Yes, but it's accepted, you know, and it's applauded. You know, there is definitely a a um, self-destructive pattern in ministry. And here in the U.S., largely the pattern is a pastor burns out and you replace them. You just keep the machine going. And, and that's what, you know, I see quite a bit of. Now, that's 
not saying there isn't some healthy churches and some healthy pastors out there. There is. Remember, you're speaking to a counselor of a crisis center. So, you know, I am seeing seeing those who are getting chewed up, you know, by the machine, so to speak. And yet there it's happening a lot. It's not rare for sure. Yeah. How many pastors are you seeing on a monthly basis or a yearly basis? Can you give us some? You idea? know, yeah, we're we're a relatively small center. So we we limit it to about a hundred pastors a year because of our eight-day intensives. And so, you know, there's been talk of expanding. You know, we have a constant waiting list. And there's a lot of other centers that do similar work to what we do. They've you know, we came on the scene in 74 and there was hardly anything here in the US at that point in time. Um, there's a lot of other places doing what we do now, and, and th- those I know of were all running full and could expand, you know, because the need is great. To what extent are issues like depression or addiction, and you write about a number of addictions in your book, uh, be it pornography or alcohol addictions, to what extent are these issues contributing to pastor burnout? To what extent are they contributing? Mm. Or I would probably say it a different way, and I don't know if clarify if I'm not getting at what you're getting at. I see burnout as a gateway to these issues. And so, you know, we see pastors struggling with addiction. Typically, when I back up their story, they were burned out first and they began to medicate. Now, they may have had a personal history in addiction, but they stayed clean for a long time and they returned to an old vice. And then even with depression, often the burnout has come first. Not always. Sometimes some folks have had historical challenges with depression and it's turned up again. But often I see burnout being the kind of the gateway to either stagnating, medicating, or just getting out of ministry. And sometimes out of the church entirely, it's a big shift at the times. So I'm just done with the church. Mm-hmm. So they uh, they suffer uh, burnout first, and then medicate and drink, and do other things to compensate and try and deal with it. It's it's shocking, isn't it? Yeah. What's some What's your advice to pastors who suffer from depression? Well, you know, I think there it's a multifaceted issue. I think it definitely, you know, seeing a professional to help you sort that out. You know, I personally believe that there is a biological, chemical component to it. So I think a medical route sometimes is helpful. I also think that there's other components to it as well, whether that's been some type of trauma or abuse in your past, whether that is, you know, shame and negative thinking that didn't come out of trauma or something like that. So I think, you know, the best approach is a medical and a counseling approach. You know, here in the States, the the idea of using medicine has grown in acceptance, but there's still a lot of denominations that say, no, not going to go down that road. You know, I personally would argue it's you're taking an important tool out of your toolbox, you know, that you could use that would be helpful to you. So, you know, I, but I think, you know, if you're struggling with depression, the first thing is to get professional help. And even if that's starting with your family doctor, because their depression is very treatable. That's the crazy thing about depression. It's very widespread but it's very treatable and, and a lot of success in treating depression out there. And even uh, cases of suicide or attempted suicide you write about in your book. Why mm-hmm. are pastors today taking their own lives? They feel trapped and they feel hopeless. Um, and that's a complicated issue as well. Sometimes it's actually trapped by the calling. 
I, I, they feel so trapped. I have this calling on my life and it becomes, unfortunately, instead of a, a, a blessing that I got chosen to serve God and serve the church. And now it's a trap. I'm miserable. I'm struggling. I'm seeing the negative effect on myself and on my family and on my marriage, but I don't feel I can get out. I feel I'd be turning my back on God. I'd be letting people down. I'd be admitting I failed. And so a lot of pastors, I just got a, a phone call today about a pastor committing suicide from a friend of a friend, it's the kind of thing. And it's unfortunately, it's happening fairly common, you know, as um, in the last few years, it's been a growing issue here in America of pastors committing suicide. And having worked with a lot of pastors who are walking close to that edge, it is the desperation and the hopelessness that there is no way I'm ever going to get better. And I don't see another way. What I preach to others works for them, but it doesn't work for me. Why can uh, why is it that pastors feel that they can't go to their church elders or their church boards and just be open with them? What's what's the problem? What's going on? Well, part of it is um, the fear that if I get vulnerable and real, I will not be who they picture me to be, and I will lose my position. That's a part of it. Part of it is their own pride. I've I've always come been the leader. You know, you know, what I have seen for a lot of pastors here is that they have increased in authenticity from the front, but not what I would call vulnerability. The difference between the two, it's one thing to tell people my feet are dirty, just like yours are. It's another thing to say, wash my feet. I'll let you wash them. And so I see a lot of pastors are still authentic with people, but only when the person is still 20 feet away from them. And so a lot of pastors still struggle to let somebody care for them until they're really, you know, in a hurting place. And, you know, our, we've been privileged in this ministry to serve a lot of pastors, but typically they come now because something has hit the fan and they, they really need help and they're desperate and they let us then care for them and serve them. But it'd be nice if 10 years ago, it would have been, I'm hurting, I need help. But they often, you know, are concerned what the reaction is going to be. You're the leader. You have the answers. Why are you asking us is sometimes the response they get. Rita, I'm going to bring you in here. What's your feeling about this? Can you speak into the New Zealand context? I think that um, that distinction between authenticity and vulnerability is really helpful, uh, that it's easy to kind of point out your own sin, but then allowing other people to help you with that is is very, very difficult, isn't it? Uh, and I think probably in the New Zealand context, there's probably a, a little bit less, or maybe particularly our context, context, Brent, there's a little bit less show, but maybe the show's in a different way. Often it can be yeah, maybe in a more kind of theological or intellectual sense that you have to, your sermons have to always be kind of in a kind of on point and there has to be something interesting that you've drawn out from the passage and you kind of, but at times you just, you kind of, you're tired, you, you had a long week, there's, there's people to, to pastor to during the week and you just present the passage as it is and maybe it's not always the greatest kind of sermon and you try and do your best but uh, it kind of can be disappointing to people when you when it's like that yeah, we're talking mm -hmm. about performance pressures it, it's you can spiritualize it but if you're in the church and up the front you're up the front you know it's like mm -hmm. a media being in the media or on stage or whatever any kind of perform it's a performance uh, that sounds awful, but it's true. At rock bottom, you are performing, and there are always pressures associated with that. Is that not the case? You're asking me? Yes. Or Ian? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there is an aspect of you are up front, and you need to be 
diligent and responsible with the role God has given you, yet our human brokenness has gotten in the mix and we expect something to happen that blows our socks off. You know, that's something that is really like, wow, you know, not just the straightforward delivery of God's word and what it says is not sufficient. It needs to come wrapped in a really nice package. And, I, you know, so I think we have added so much to it. You know, yes, you're, you're, you're up front. All eyes are on you. That is true. Yet the expectation, you know, of what you will sound like, look like the emotional kind of high that you may experience sitting there in the, in the seat has, I think, gotten way off track. Okay, well, how can pastors care better for themselves? And how can churches help pastors care better for themselves? Let me ask, let me answer the second one first. You know, I'm thinking of a study that I read that several, several key interventions really lower the burnout rate. And three of the ones that were discovered in this, I think it was Ed Stetzer, who's, who's with, um, the Billy Graham Association now, I believe, um, he talked about in this one study he was referring to that regular sabbatical, a well-defined job description, because that helps with boundaries. What's really the expectations? You're not this blurry, everything that comes to the pastor. And then little to no counseling load here in the States, often the pastor can be looked to for marital counseling, for other types of counseling. And some pastors are really good of meeting one time and then referring them on. Some are not, and they just get burdened down with that. Even if they have a pastoral heart, um, it's sometimes not their top five things on their job description that they should be spending a lot of time and energy. So I think the church can do a good job by understanding your pastor is limited. And just like you have a limited job description wherever you work probably, they should have a limited job description, preaching, teaching, not all the above, managing staff, fundraising, casting, you know, you name it, all, all the above. And so those are several small things, but big things that churches can help with, you know, to provide for their pastor. Now, the pastor themselves, you know, I think, you know, there, there is an ongoing um, need for pastors to, to value themselves and see themselves as the first gift God has given them. The, you know, we even often don't use the term self-care here because it still gets turned into that's selfish. That's not dying to self, you know, to do self-care. And so we often will use the term, you know, being responsible with what God has given you. Yes, God has given you a ministry, but he's also given you yourself. He maybe has given you a marriage and family. He's given you a community, you know, so you need to hold all of those. And, and what happens here is more and more eggs get put into the ministry basket. And that becomes the problem. And you start taking from other baskets to put more into that. You take from your own sleep. You take from marital time. You take your own hobby away because that's not important to saving souls. And I keep taking and putting them all into the ministry basket so that it can be successful. Why have pastors become such workaholics? Because <laughs> it's applauded. You know, it's, it is held up. I mean, it is, I mean, I've worked at a couple of different churches and who gets applauded? The person who's there seven days a week, you know, who, who gets the, the affirmation, who gets called in and given a raise, not the person who honors their Sabbath and takes it off. 
is, is the person who is overperforming. And they're like, wow, I can't believe all you've done. You know, we, you're so valuable. And so then if you add in, as my book kind of gets into a bit, you add in the own personal brokenness of wanting to feel secure, adequate, whatever. And then you're told you are awesome because of how well you perform. Then it's this kind of toxic combination to just keep going and going. How do we diffuse this toxic combination? Well, I think first you have to recognize it's happening. You know, we, we tend to spiritualize it a lot, um, this dying to self and bearing our cross and different terminology like that to justify overworking in the ministry, you know. And so I think we have to recognize that this is not what God is calling us to. The ministry may be pressuring us and we may be putting that on ourselves because we want to succeed. You know, so I think we have to recognize that. And unfortunately, a lot of the folks I work with recognize that when they're deep into their burnout or depression or addiction, they're like, it was killing me. It was draining me. And I just kept running on that treadmill because I didn't see any other way. So I, I think one is first recognition, hopefully before crisis. You know, that'd be my hope and goal as one of the main reasons to write the book is, you know, sitting in a room with folks who have dr- blown up their ministry and their marriages. And now they're like, what happened? How did I get to this point where I did this, whatever this may be? So one is recognition. And then two, you know, it's beginning to dig deep into what really drives me, you know, and is that all really of God, you know, of what drives me? Or is it my own need to be successful? Or am I letting others define that for me? You know, and coming back to you know, well, how does, what does God really want for me? Does he want me to have life and life abundant, you know, or does he really want me to come into having, you know, on a heart attack because of how hard I worked kind of thing. How important is it for pastors and for churches to understand grace? Oh, it's huge. And it's so ironic, you know, of the ministry I do, that some of the pastors I've worked at are probably some of the best preachers on grace that you've ever heard and have written books on grace. And there's very little grace in their own lives for themselves. The performance pressure they put on themselves and let, and they receive from others, there's no grace involved, you know, and it's all going back to a, a form of legalism that I have to perform in this way to be okay, to be okay to God, to the church, to myself. And, you know, grace is so huge that of just seeing themselves as human and therefore limited. And I only have so much I can do. And that's okay. God Mm -hmm. is not saying I have to do it all. So, yeah, I think think getting grace for yourself. And I think a lot of pastors become very good at preaching it because they're, they're still trying to work it into themselves in some way. I love the, uh, the quote, well, the quote I've written down from, uh, near the end of the book, I think you, you say a pastor is first a child to be loved and not a tool to be used. Now that's wonderful. How can we as a church love our pastors and church leaders and support them? Yeah. Again, recognizing they're human and limited and not expecting them, especially in today's world with, you know, smartphones and texting um, pastors feel I'm on 24 seven, you know, that, that if I don't respond within minutes to that text and somebody's going to be upset. 
and they, they feel that and, and they live in that. And so they hear the ding of their phone, which is their own problem of having it within earshot when they're laying in bed, you know. And so, you know, just saying, hey, the pastor is off in the evenings and the weekends, you know, it, it, whatever can usually wait. There's those odd, rare situations. So recognizing they're human recognizing that they have a life they they you know everybody's crisis of course is the most important thing in the world and so if i want my pastor to show up i want them to show up and so if i want to talk to them i need to talk to them but recognizing they do need their time and space for themselves for their marriage their family for their home you know those kinds of things and and again i think having open conversations um, as a church body and including leadership of what really is their role and how do we protect them in that? Just let them do what they do well and not put too much on them. We, we can just overburden them. And then all of us can sit back in the pew and let them carry the weight of the church. Yes. What are some of the ways that you counsel pastors to set boundaries in ministry so this, they don't feel over, totally overwhelmed? Well, I think part of it is coming back to defining their calling, you know, is one approach we take. Really, what are you called to? What what do you sense? And that means, you know, slightly different things for different denominations and different backgrounds and different parts of the country, even here. But in general, what do you feel you're called to from your gifting, from if you look at your history, you look at opportunity, all those kind of factors? What do you think God has called you to? What has he called you to in this particular church body and community? And how do you stay focused on that? you know, and not let these other things begin to pull you here and there. And then how do you communicate that well to your leadership to say, hey, folks, this is what I'm called to do, but these things are distracting me. We either need to find somebody else to do them or have somebody take care of those. But what I find, you know, the big hinge often for pastors, they know they need to set boundaries. They, they I'm sure have heard this, read this, talked to other people about doing it. Often, again, to me, you know, but again, you're hearing a counselor talk here, comes back to two main things rise up in the council, uh, up in the pasture when it comes to setting boundaries and a negative fear or guilt. And that's where the rubber meets the road as far as will they do it? Because if the pastor says, you know, I don't need to be at four meetings a week, that meeting I don't need to be at. And they set that boundary, they immediately, if they're not in a good place, they either feel fear or guilt. And then they'll not set the boundary because they feel fearful. Like what, what if they realize they don't need me? What if I'm not, if I am dispensable? What if, what if, oh, I feel guilty because that's what they expect. And they'll feel bad that I wasn't there and whatever, even though deacon so-and-so leads that meeting, you know, so I work with a lot with pastors on where is that fear and guilt coming from? And is that appropriate fear and guilt that you're feeling? So, you know, we, we work with pastors that boundaries are basically yes and no. They're fairly simple in one way, yet there's a lot of layers to why we don't do it. And so I look, I have them look at their calling. What were you called to? And if you could be in your wheelhouse, your sweet spot, most of the time, we all have to do some stuff in our job we don't like to do. And then I look at the underneath what's going on, though, that you've never set these boundaries, or you don't set them, or you rarely set them. And often it comes back to some fear or guilt that gets comes up in them. 
for pastors and leaders and managers listening to this podcast, what are, what are some of the warning signs, Michael, that things are starting to go wrong? How can they recognize when they're starting to get to that or just before that stage of burnout? Yeah, you know, I would even go back to one of the beginning or early on definitions of burnout. And one who was because um, some aspects of burnout are one, a lack of contentment, even pleasure, joy in, um, in this case would be ministry accomplishments. So work accomplishments. Now you may still be getting the job done, but it's just not satisfying anymore. And so you get it done and then you're just like, oh, but tomorrow I have to go do this, you know? So there's not this celebration, joy in the accomplishments that I just had. Second is people become problems. My bandwidth, my emotional bandwidth is used up and the phone rings and the first thing that comes to my mind is a curse word. Like, you know, I won't say it on your show, but you know, that's, that's the first thing because people are now problems because I've got nothing left. So people stop being people. They start being problems. And then the last one is emotional exhaustion or emotional numbness. And so when you have those three, you find yourself more and more. It's, it's normal once in a while, the end of a week to be like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm tired. You know, it's a Monday, just did three sermons or whatever. That's normal. But if it's consistent, I don't want to talk to people, but I have to. I don't want to go to this meeting, but I have to. If it's like, I'm not finding pleasure anymore. We just finished up that whatever sermon series. We just did that. And it's just like, the only thing I'm thinking about is dreading the next thing, you know, and I'm just flat. I'm just like, there's no joy. And then you're in a dangerous place. And that's when I see pastors begin to medicate and they find that girlfriend from college or whatever, because they've become flat drained, emotionally numb, and then they're in danger of medicating with something they, they shouldn't medicate with. We have to finish, sadly. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you, Michael. I've learned heaps. Uh, where can people find you on your website, on social media? If someone's listening who's in trouble and needs to contact you, how do they reach you? Uh, it's still the best way. You know, I work full-time and I'm the executive director of Marble Retreat. So you go to marbleretreat.org. There is a, a connection right on the front page to the book that's coming out on December the 14th. More information there about our ministry, about myself. Of course, the book is available through IVP Press or hopefully Amazon and those other type places, you know. But uh, to get in touch with our ministry or myself, um, marbleretreat.org is the best way to, to get track me down here in Florida. I'll put links to all those ministries and a link to your book on, on our website, on our webpage with the podcast, Michael. Rito, just before we close, final thoughts, comments, questions? That's so helpful. And yeah, I do hope that yeah, other church leaders kind of are able to hear this and able to step it, you know, kind of reach out for help where they need, where they, people do need help. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Rito, Ian Reid uh, of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, New Zealand, my co-host, and Michael McKenzie, whose new book is from IVP America into Varsity Press, is called Don't Blow Up Your Ministry, Diffuse the Underlying Issues That Take Pastors Down. Michael and Ian, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. 
This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.